Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Katie Orr. In the past quarter century, the gap between what men and women are paid has narrowed by only eight cents. Women nationally now earn about 82 cents for every dollar a man earns, and wage discrimination is even worse for women of color. Joining us now to talk about why the wage gap continues to exist and what can be done to close it is Francesca Donner. She's gender director for The New York Times and editor of the times in her words. Thank you so much for being here. Um, You know, in a recent article, you talk about the persistence of the wage gap and you refer to equal payday. Can you sum up for us just what that is? I would be delighted to. And I think I'm just going to start by saying equal payday sounds like a wonderful holiday, doesn't it? But in (laughs) fact, It's not a celebration. Um, It's not a good day. And that's quoting uh, Representative Carolyn Maloney. So equal pay day um, was established about 25 years ago. And it it is really a symbolic day. And it basically marks how long into the year women would have to make to earn what men made in the prior year. So let me let's let's actually break it down a little bit. I'll give you an example. Let's say that a man last year in 2020 made $100,000, great salary. For a woman on average to make $100,000, she would need to make, um, she would need to work all the way through 2020 plus um, January and February and up until approximately March 24th of 2021 in order to make the same salary. Or if you want me to put it another way, In the time that it takes a man to make a certain salary, um, that would be 365 days, a woman would need to work around 450 days. That's a lot more days. And that's why this is not a celebration to me. And I think we should call it unequal payday. We want to hear your thoughts and questions. Give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your question to forum at kqed.org. So, Francesca, I've covered equal pay days, you know, a lot in my time as a reporter. And it's always struck me that it's kind of I get the need for succinct messaging, but it kind of papers over, I feel like, bigger issues that, you know, women have to deal with that are the reasons we're seeing these, this this gender gap. You know, things like a lack of affordable child care, lack of bodily autonomy in some places, a, a disproportionate amount of you know, work we have to do in, in our personal lives. Do you think that that is fair? 
Yes, I do think it's fair. And I think I'm glad you said that you've been covering it for years and years, because the thing about Equal Pay Day is it just keeps coming around year after year after year. And in newsrooms like yours and like mine, we say, oh, my goodness, it's Equal Pay Day again. And we're covering it. And guess what? Nothing has changed or very, very little has changed. Um, so I think there's a lot of reasons why this is going on. And I wish that we could point to one specific thing that could be easily addressed. Um, but when we were reporting out this piece, we spoke to a number of different experts and they all had different ideas about what might be happening. Um, you know, you mentioned um, unpaid work, that's invisible labor. Um, there are all sorts of different words for it, but I'm pretty sure that almost everyone who's listening to this show actually knows what this is. Invisible labor is basically the work that you do which you don't get paid for, but you do it because someone has to do it. And that could be doing dishes. It could be doing childcare. We all know a lot about that after last year and this year. Um, it is all of that stuff that if it doesn't get done, um, your household is basically going to collapse. So we all know, and we have known in the past that women do more invisible labor than men. And by the way, that's consistent across every country in the world. Um, but when you're doing invisible labor, um, you're not doing economic work, right? You're not doing your job for pay. It's very, very, very hard to be changing a diaper while also being fully focused in uh, with all your attention on a Zoom meeting. So I think this is one interesting example. So if you have women who are really focused on that, they're not able to do their job. They're not able to be as present at work if they are taking on the bulk of the unpaid labor. And that's really problematic in certain kinds of jobs. In particular, those higher paying jobs, think of um, legal profession, um, you know, finance jobs that you're expected to be there all the time, present, ready for clients, ready to return an email at any time of day or night. And that's kind of referred to as the greedy problem where jobs, and this is kind of really gotten worse in the past few years where jobs have really demanded absolutely everything from their employees. You've got to return an email if it's, if it's you know, nine o'clock at night. I'm sorry if you're with your family, you need to work. And so what you've seen in a lot of families is let's just say you have a in a traditional household with a mother and a father and let's say they're both in a legal profession you say okay it, it's just simply impossible for one to, to for both of them to keep going so one ends up stepping back and generally that's that's the woman that's just one example of what might be causing this gap um if you want me to go on i can we can talk about <laughs> sexism that's another issue there's absolutely and Go on, sorry. I want to, I'm so, no, I want to get to some calls. I should say I have changed a diaper while giving an interview and it is not easy. <laughs> Neither one gets your full attention, which can be messy. Um, I'm with you. I, I've cleaned up vomit 10 seconds before I was supposed to go on stage and interview someone. It's terrible. And you kind of just pretend it's fine. But I do think this past year has at very least made us pretend that it's not so fine anymore. Absolutely. I, I want to get to uh, Maria in Oak, uh, Marie in Oakland. Go ahead. Hey there. I, you know, I really appreciate that the whole notion of invisible labor is being addressed. I think that's something that many women talk about on the home front. And, you know, not just the invisible labor, but the roots of that, you know, the degree to which women often carry the emotional or psychological weight of the family. And is that really being distributed on the home front? I think that's a big factor. And then I think we have to really dig into corporate life and really be honest 
with what the data is showing us that, you know, when it comes to hiring, firing, transitions, power, it's very clear who has it and who doesn't and what is being valued and what isn't. And too frequently women are also undervalued. And um, a lot of that can be subconscious, just sort of in the the American psyche that's been around, I'd say, since for a long time, since the 1950s, when women's labor was really being harnessed. Um, I think that's when it really started. Marie, thank you so much. And, you know, I think it's important to note that we can't um, have this conversation, uh, Francesca, I know you'll agree, without talking about the fact that you know, for women of color, as we mentioned, the gap is much larger uh, compared to white women and and to to Asian women. But for you know, black and brown women, it takes even longer. Talk about talk about what what those women are facing. Yeah, so I'm really glad you mentioned this because we simply can't look at this problem. What when when we talk about this this sort of equal pay gap and we throw out this eighty two cents. Um, it's really kind of a headline number, but actually what's going on below the surface is really, really problematic. And you're absolutely right. It's staggeringly worse um, if you are a Hispanic woman, if you're a black woman, if you're an Asian woman, it's it's actually better. Um, but to put some numbers to that, um, we said that on average, this kind of this sort of top line figure that we're looking at that rolls everybody under this one banner is around 82 cents. If you're an Asian woman, you are probably making around 87 cents. If you're a black woman compared with a white male, you're making 63 cents. A Native American woman, you're making 60 cents. And if you're a Latina woman, you are making 55 cents compared with a white male. And that's actually also why I know we quote unquote celebrate, you know, I had my feelings on that um, equal payday in, in on March 24th. It was March 24th this year. That's sort of an approximation. But in fact, if you fall into these other groups, your your equal payday can be as far back as the fall. And, you know, just to kind of illustrate this, because that is the point of equal payday, it's sort of the symbolic illustration, Latina women's equal payday is October 21st. So in other words, to go back to what we were talking about at the beginning of this call, she, uh, a Latina woman would need to work all the way through 2020 and all the way in, in 2021 up until August, October 21st to make what that white male had made in just 365 days in 2020. I know it's a lot of numbers, but I think these dates are sort of symbolically shocking. I, I will say I'm sure there are people out there who would say this is not a gender issue. This is a job issue, you know, and people who are attorneys and doctors are naturally going to make people more because of their schooling and the requirements than somebody working in a, a less, you know, uh, a less where, where less education is required for that job. Um Coincidentally, more women tend to work in the you know lower wage jobs than men. But these people might say, well, these women should just go ahead and we should have more female attorneys and doctors. I mean, what do you say to that? I say, oh, I really wish I didn't have to say this, but um, the gap is actually you see this wage gap actually even within jobs. So if you look at a top earning role, like a chief executive, you're still seeing a gender pay gap. And you're absolutely right. There are definitely professions that have become feminized. And what we what we mean by that is that certain professions, when women start to really dominate in those professions, let's say teaching, for example, um, 
the the wages actually go down, which is really frustrating. But what we found is that when a man enters those professions, he will still get paid more. Mm. Um, so it's not really as simple a question as, well, you know, you're picking the wrong job. This mm. is really consistent. And when with my team, we actually we pulled some data on a number of different jobs just to kind of show a good range. So, for example, there is a pay gap with chief executives. There is a pay gap with software developers, also financial managers. That, okay, those are top paying jobs, fine. But there's also a pay gap with teachers, police officers, retail salespeople, janitors, and housekeepers. So it's really consistent. And I, I, I wish I could say there's some wonderful profession out there where women really can make more money, but I, I haven't seen it. And the people I spoke with um, were not really able to point to anything mm. either. I want to go to another caller, Gretchen in San Francisco. Go ahead. Yeah, hi. I am a technology entrepreneur and a CEO, and I've been in San Francisco for 25 years. I've hired men and women in tech jobs and non-tech jobs. And I think there is an issue that isn't being discussed here, which is a women's confidence issue. 100% of the men that I have hired negotiate for their salaries. And I would say 80 to 90% of the women that I have hired do not negotiate for their salaries. They take the first offer that they are given. It's truly shocking to me, and I often have conversations with them after it, asking why they didn't negotiate. And nobody is really mentoring or coaching women that they should ask for more. And I just wanted to make sure that that issue is addressed because I think it's a really big problem. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I would like you to talk about that, Francesca, but I'd also like to get your thoughts on you know, where do you stand about women talking about their salaries with each other? Uh, you know, I I've personally believe that if you if you have to share the information, because if you don't know what I'm making and I don't know what you're making, the only one that benefits from that is the company that's trying to save money. Right. So great point on from from both of you. Um, I think that's I think that's kind of the first thing to sort of realize is that in fact, when you're negotiating a salary, the company isn't really on your side. The company wants to wants to get the best possible deal it can. Um, and you're absolutely right. I think that the the negotiation problem is is really is really true and present. Um, I have certainly seen it in my own life as well. Um, and we've often seen you know women being penalized for negotiating or asking for. Um, a bigger salary and actually just not getting it. You know, we also know that the motherhood penalty is at play where, you know, that if if they're a mother, they're going to be penalized even further. So there's a lot of kind of factors playing into that. But I think you also raise another really good point, which is why don't we know what everyone is making? Um, Why don't we talk about it? It's become so culturally entrenched that this is something that's kind of taboo and verboten and we never mention it. Um, But I think that, maybe it is a good conversation to have among trusted friends. Um, You know, I'm not sure that you want to sort of go blasting out your salary to everyone in the entire organization. Maybe that's not constructive. And in part, that can be really problematic because I think there's sort of the moment of truth when you learn, oh my goodness, I'm either making so much more than I thought. And what does that mean about how I compare with everyone else? And maybe my salary even feels a bit icky because why isn't that person getting what I'm getting? Or you're making much less than you thought. 
And that's really can obviously be devastating because you're sitting there thinking, well, what a, why am I, why am I worthless? I feel terrible. Of course, you're not worthless, but I feel terrible about this. What does it mean? And I think when you have these conversations, they should be with, you know, trusted peers and colleagues. And really also look at the sort of full picture of, you know, am I also getting, am I getting extra vacation days? Am I working kind of a part-time flexible schedule? Is there some kind of explanation? But once you start building that picture, you have those data points, which puts you in a much better situation when you go in there and you, and you have real information behind you and you know, well, I know what people are making now. Too often, even when we do go into negotiate, we don't really know what we should be asking for because we're clueless as to what everyone else is making. One solution for this actually is the idea of salary bands. And I think this can be really helpful. And that might be saying, okay, well, you know, the job, the job we have uh, pays between um, $60,000 and $70,000 and you'll fall somewhere within that range. Um, a really wide band can be totally problematic because you could still have people at the, you know, women at the low end of the band and men at the higher end of the band. But I think bands can be helpful, at least as a sort of give you some indicator that I'm somewhere in the right spot. But even then, those could be, you know, problematic as well. And, and at this point, I think you know why. I want to get to a, a caller, Megan in Redwood City. Go ahead. Hi, I, I love what you're saying, and now I'm going to drift back a little of it off topic, but I love this topic. Is, is, is there any advice you have in trying to teach our children specifically or more focused on the young men in our family how to prioritize work, um, not only being outside of the home place, such as school and, and what your father's doing and so on, et cetera, but prioritizing the importance of doing work inside the home and how doing the dishes is just as important as getting your homework done? Um, is that a conversation that you've had? And um, I don't really know if this is a question or just a topic, um, but that's something I find very interesting and something I feel I don't hear a lot from girlfriends uh, who have kids and whatnot. Um, Thank you I'm so nervous. much, Megan. I want to I want to get Francesca a chance to give us a quick answer here before we have to go. Is that a topic? Yes, it's a topic to me. Um, and I'm going to I'm going to use my own life because we've all been living this uh, very interesting social experiment last year and this year. Um, you know, I've got three kids, two are eight and 10. They're old enough to help. They're boys. Um, one is too little to do anything useful at all. And certainly I think that this year I, I have been required to demand more of them. And when they push back on me and say, oh, I don't want to do the dishwasher. I don't want to do the set the table. I say, well, you're telling me this, but when you tell me this, this is assuming my husband is not in the room as well. So let's just say it's the three of us in the room. Uh, when you tell me this, you're telling me that's my job. Is that your intention? You're telling me I can't do it because that's your job and you can do it. And that I think is quite profound thought for them. We've been talking about the gender pay gap with Francesca Donner, gender director for The New York Times. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Katie Orr. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation.
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.